Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Uh, we are opening up, continuing in our adventure through the Gospel of Mark. We're in Mark chapter 12. Um, and so feel free to read along with me or follow along on the screen. Then the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died, leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. That's just a severe round of bad luck, isn't it? Really? At the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? And Jesus replied, Jesus meek and mild, Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? Hmm. When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. That's a double whammy for the Sadducees, as we'll soon see. Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. Love it. Love me some strong Jesus. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. I love it. No one dared ask him any more questions. Let's pray as we uh, spend some more time in God's word today. So Father, thank you for the word that you have given us. Thank you for your son, Jesus, the word made flesh. And thank you for your spirit dwelling within us and among us. Holy Spirit, we invite you. Um, into this time together today that you would continue to speak the truth continue to reveal the truth um, of the Lord Jesus Christ to our hearts our souls our minds that we would draw closer to you in this time in Jesus name amen all right Uh, I have here a couple of recipe books I love uh, I I really like cooking I don't get to do a lot of cooking uh, um, but I love food Uh, I greatly believe in the ministry of food. I think food is um, one of the extra love languages that doesn't get counted by 
um, Gary Chapman, but that's okay. Um, and I have a couple here, a couple of recipe books from our own family. Um, this one's actually mine, it's Bill Granger. I've used this a few times. Um, and this has one of my favorite recipes in here. There's some spicy slow cooked lamb shanks, they're divine, and uh, some oatmeal and raisin cookies, but I've hijacked them to make oatmeal and choc chip cookies, and I dare say they're the best choc chip cookies you'll ever have. Um, so we've changed that recipe slightly, and this is, uh, this is more Narelle's uh, recipe book with lots of different recipes that we've picked up from lots of different people over the time, from family and friends, um, with quite a few different recipes. This is the one that contains the golden recipe for homemade sausage rolls. Sausage rolls um, are a staple in our home, one of the family favourites, uh, sausage rolls and pumpkin soup. Uh, that's a winner every time. Now, uh, one time Narelle was away uh, for a whole day uh, and I was left to uh, fend for ourselves and to make sure the children stayed alive and to cook dinner for all of us, uh, which I did. And it was the sausage rolls and pumpkin soup. Never made them before in my life. This was quite a few years ago. And so I went, I found the recipe in here. I'm not going to try and find it now because uh, it will take too long. And I found the recipe and I went through the recipe and made the sausage rolls. Fairly successfully, I would say. Except my sausage rolls were like king-size sausage rolls. They were bigger than the sausage rolls that uh, Narelle normally makes. So oh, I just thought, mm, something's gone wrong here. Turns out, in this golden book of recipes that we have, there's a step missing which actually instructs the cooker, the chef, the cook, to cut said sausage rolls at some point in their preparation. Uh, I didn't know that. I'd never made them. I'd never stood there and watched them being made. I had just always enjoyed um, the finished product when somebody else had made them. So mine were massive and, as you can imagine, took longer to cook, but they turned out Turned out all right. So then I asked, I was like, why are mine so large compared to the, when you make them or when your mum makes them, whoever else makes them? Oh, yeah, you have, to, you have to cut them in half at this point. Well, where's that step? Oh, it's not in there. You just have to know. I'm like, How am I meant to know that? Well, you just do. It turns out it's not even just a sausage roll recipe that has this secret step. So now it's become a bit of a thing in our family when I'm following a recipe, again, not very often, that Narelle has put together or somebody else has put together, I ask, is there anything else that's not written down for me to follow? Do I need to know something else before I go ahead and make said recipe? Um, and it turns out there are quite a few recipes where there's a step not in there or an ingredient that you change or do differently and it all depends. So I was quite bamboozled by that, but now it has become a thing where you just check and say, hang on a minute, are there any steps that I need to be aware of? Uh, there's one recipe in there, and I think it has a list of ingredients, and the steps are only half written down. So you kind of just get halfway through, and then you, you make it up. Um, and that's all well and good if you actually know what you're doing, um, as Narelle does. Uh, but when you're like me and like to follow the recipe, um, I don't have a clue. But we made it through um, and we enjoyed the sausage rolls and still enjoy the said sausage rolls um, when they are baked. And I'm sure it must be time for another batch of sausage 
roles. But anyway, that's um, a time. That's a story for another time. All that to say, the importance of following a recipe, and even knowing the recipe in its entirety, and beyond that, knowing the author of the recipe. Now, you might already be uh, straight ahead of me and think, oh, this is going to be one of those things, you know, the Bible is a recipe, and we need to know every step in the recipe before we can actually bake the cake of life or whatever it might be. Uh, like, I don't want to make it that simple. That would be oversimplifying it. But because I know the person that's put all the recipes together, the one that knows all the steps in the recipes, I've got a better idea of what it takes for those recipes to come out and for those recipes to work. And if I come along and I try and change any of those recipes, I can tell you I don't have a clue. So I follow the recipes and they're not going to work if I don't follow them to the letter whether that step's actually in there or not. The thing is, I think about those recipes, I think about our recipes and our, our recipe books um, and the cut and copy kind of approach that we have and where well, you leave this bit out and you put that bit in and that's all right for recipes. It's not all right for the Bible. It's not all right for scripture. The problem that we face in Western civilization predominantly today in our 21st century world is more and more people are taking that approach and applying it to scripture. You want to do that? You want to take recipes, cut them to bits, make them, bake them, however you want to do that? Fantastic. Do that. You want to do that to scripture? you end up with a right royal mess. And some might say, we are in a right royal mess. Yes, we are. Are we in more of a mess than we have ever been throughout history? Uh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. We're called to be people of hope and light, not hopelessness and darkness. Um, and the light shall not be overcome. The light shines brightly in the darkness. And so what does it mean for us to actually take the entirety of scripture, not cut and paste, take out the bits that we do and don't like and leave in the bits that we do and ignore the bits that we don't or try and apply our cultural understanding to scripture and ignore what it actually meant for the people that it was intended for in the first place. And if we do that, if we take a hodgepodge approach to scripture, which is what the Sadducees were doing, we end up with a mess. So let's have a look at the Sadducees, um, what their game plan is, um, and see what we can learn from the scripture before us today. The inspired, inerrant word of the Lord. All right, I hope you have your Bibles there and are still following me, even though I might have derailed you with the thought of recipes. And it's probably silly. No, soon be lunchtime and now you're even getting more hungry. So the Sadducees, one of uh, the groups of religious elite in a lot of the ways. We've talked about them before along with the Pharisees and we've talked about the Pharisees and Simon covered the Pharisees and Herodians last week um, and their role in the religious and political landscape of first century Jerusalem when Jesus walked the earth. Both the Pharisees and the Sadducees had been around for some time um, before Jesus had come on the scene. The Sadducees um, in the name comes from the, main, um, the same name as one of the high priests from Israel long before in Zadok. Um, and so they had come down this priestly line and basically set themselves up as um, a ruling religious elite with political affiliations, pretty much. Um, and there was a couple of core beliefs that differed them from the Pharisees. 
um, as you can see in our reading today. Verse 18, they're the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus with a question. So we see straight off, they say there is no resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. <laughs> so they didn't believe in the resurrection. And so they go through this whole idea about Moses writing the law because they only believed the scripture that Moses wrote. So the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, that's all that the Sadducees held to. Ignored the rest of the law, ignored the rest of the prophets um, that came along after Moses and just took those first five, what we know as the Pentateuch. And so they have this question for Jesus. Now, just to recap where we are at the moment, Jesus has entered into Jerusalem on a donkey, the triumphant entry, and since then has copped flack from every side. If we go back, there's the whole episode with the withered fig tree, which um, Jesus curses and it dies. Um, And at the start of Mark 12, Jesus tells the parable of the tenants uh, and the and the religious leaders, the, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders, they're all listening to this parable of the tenants. And they realize that Jesus is talking about them. And so since that time, in uh, 12 verse 12, um, they look for a way to arrest him. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. So the chief priests, they all walk away from Jesus after he tells his parable. And then uh, the Pharisees and the Herodians come up to catch Jesus in his words. I'm re- if you read through Mark 12, it kind of reminds me like some kind of um, martial arts movie or some bad guys versus good guys, maybe the Matrix, maybe kind of a John Wick movie where um, all the baddies are coming up to, to, to beat the good guy. Uh, but they all take their turn. Bad guys are really nice in a lot of movies. They're not all just all at once. They take their turns. And I feel like that's what the Pharisees and the Herodians and the Sadducees are like in this encounter with Jesus. They all just wait until somebody else has had a go and then they go in. Maybe that's not how you read it, but that's what I kind of imagine as I read through Mark 12. So the Pharisees and the Herodians have had a turn uh, trying to catch Jesus, but Jesus is way too smart for them because he sees right through their hypocrisy and he amazed even them and then the Sadducees come and have a turn and so Jesus you know good good guy versus bad guys um, that's a bad oversimplification of it Um, Jesus responds to the Sadducees and says are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God now, they would be horrified at that. They would be like, uh, we know scriptures, thank you, as long as it was written by Moses. So Jesus puts them back in their spot. And then Jesus gives them a double whammy because in verse 25, he says, when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like the angels in heaven. So first of all, Jesus says, yes, there is resurrection. Uh, secondly, there's angels. And the Sadducees would be deeply offended because they didn't believe in either of those things. And so Jesus just put them back in their box and said, all right, this is the truth that you need to know. And he goes on because he says, now about the dead rising, verse 26, have you not read in the book of Moses in the account of the bush, how God said to him, Moses, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus, who is Okay, he is the son of God. He is the word personified. He is Emmanuel God with us. So the wisest of all beings ever. 
I love his wisdom here that he actually quotes back at them using the scripture that they know and believe in. He doesn't quote from the wisdom books. He doesn't quote from one of the prophets. He doesn't just give them an answer as adequate as it would be from his own wisdom and understanding. He quotes from a book of Moses and he says in Moses' experience in his encounter at the burning bush, did not God say, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob? So not only has he spoken to their disbelief in the resurrection, in the angelic, he's also done it using the only scripture that they will believe in. Now, as a little aside here, I believe in memorizing scripture, not just to have it stored in my head, um, but to grow in a relationship with God and to be um, better armed um, in um, times of warfare and, and to use it as prayer. I use scripture a lot in, my own, in praying. Um, but Jesus here, they didn't have chapters and verses when Jesus is, um, Jesus is alive. And so he just refers to the story, not by, I don't even know the address of when this happens. Uh, I should have looked that up. But he just refers to it by Moses and the burning bush. I'm like, well, that is cool. If Jesus can just refer to it, not by its address, by, by where and how it happens, that sounds like that's good enough permission to me. And so Jesus says, in this account that you believe in, does not God speak to the living and not the dead? And so the Sadducees uh, are put back in their place because Jesus has opened their eyes. He's seen through their, their hypocrisy and their deceit and them trying to trip him up and said, all right, well, I'll answer your question about the resurrection because it's not really a question about what rights the woman has or you know, who she's actually married to. That's not what you're trying to do. You're trying to argue a point for resurrection and trying to prove that there is no resurrection. And so they themselves get caught out and Jesus proves actually there's a resurrection. There is an angelic realm. Um, and I can prove it to you using the book that you believe in. Such is the wisdom of Jesus. He says to them, are you not in error because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God? <clears throat> and then he finishes off reminding them, he's not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. It can be real easy to cut and paste, take little bits and pieces to form our own arguments about what we believe, what we don't believe, or which parts of the Bible, which parts of Scripture that we want to hold on to and say, well, this part, but not that part, because I don't really understand that part, and just apply the bits that we want or believe the bits that we want. I had a conversation with somebody earlier this week, and they're reading through Joshua through the Old Testament and going, I don't get it, like there's so much warfare and, um, and violence. How does that actually express God who is, is love? Oh, like I'm just trying to reason that out. It doesn't sound like the same God who becomes Jesus. And we just talked about it. And I said, you know, if I come to scripture and I believe God is love and God is holy, I read all of the book, all of it through that lens. And I'm not trying to prove that God is love or God is holy, but I firmly believe that God is love. And God is holy and just in all his ways. And then I'm going to lean into what he has done and what he has said and what he is saying with that mindset, with that lens, rather than trying to prove that he is. 
And for some of us, we might, need it and we might need to actually declare in faith, this is what I believe, rather than actually, well, come on, God, you prove it as I sit here and read your word. Uh, Jesus, there's a conversation that Jesus has with the Pharisees. This is uh, told in John chapter 5. And he says to them, because they're arguing some other points, a religious point with him as well. And Jesus says to the Pharisees, you study the scriptures diligently. All right, that's awesome. Do that. That's really good. You study the scriptures diligently. Um, but there's no full stop. This is not a compliment from Jesus. Because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus is saying to them, all, all scripture since Moses through the law and the prophets testifies about me. And I stand here before you today as the fulfillment of everything that you believe in. Yet you study these words so diligently, but you are dead to me because you choose to come to me to have life. I study scripture not well I do study scripture to fill my head but it's not purely to fill my head that's not the end game the end game is that I would fill my head and my heart with his truth with who God is and what he's like so that I would come to Jesus to have life well it's because I have life in Jesus that I study scripture so that I can learn more about who he is and what he's like because this is what I want to live out we could do a whole series looking at scripture and looking at why we have the Old Testament and the New Testament and how this book, this you know, beautiful um, compact form Bible that we have today, the 66 books that we have um, in the canon of scripture as it's called, why we have that and why some things are left out and some things um, have been put in. And we can look all through history since um, since the writing of the law and the prophets and how Jesus used the law and the prophets and how Peter and Paul wrote um, using quotes from the law and the prophets and from each other and from Jesus um, in their own writings and how we have the forming of the New Testament um, and how it wasn't, the early church didn't just take a whole bunch of letters and say, do you know what, we need um, an official book. We need an album. Let's put all these together and we'll call that mm, the Bible. Not how it worked. They took all the letters that they were already using and operating from as their mm, code of conduct, if you will, and said, let's take all the letters that we're using from the people that were with Jesus, who were eyewitnesses and testified to him and all that he did. Let's put all that together um, and we will hold on to this as the authoritative word of God for the church and all through history historian and theologian after historian and theologian has looked back at the history of the word of God for the hundreds and thousands of years before then and said this is the word of God and here is why we need to hold to the word of God as the truth of God in written form inspired in errant word of God and not cut and paste the bits that we do and don't like because we don't understand, but to actually come to him, the one who is life, the one who gives us life, to find out what he's saying to us through his word. One of the teachers of the law came up 
uh, verse 28 continuing, one of the teachers of the law came up and heard the Sadducees and Jesus debating, noticing Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him of all the commandments, which is the most important. And Jesus here says the most important one is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. As Josh showed, love God, love others. There is no commandment greater than these. Now Jesus is quoting what is known to, um, to Jews as the Shema, which is a, a prayer that they would recite three times a day. Quite often they would, as they start all of their um, gatherings with the Shema and use it as a daily uh, prayer and hold on to it as the truth above all others. The commandment to rule all other commandments. Why this one? Why not? Here's some other rules, some other laws that Jesus could have chosen as the most important. Excuse me. Maybe something on building code from Deuteronomy 22. When you build a new house, make a parapet around your roof so that you may not bring the guilt of bloodshed on your house if someone falls from the roof. That could have been a good one. That protects other people. That makes sure that people... Um, stay alive and that's just some general common sense. Now keep in mind there's 613 different rules and commandments to choose from. 613. And there's different reasons why there's 613. You can go and look that up and it will do your head in. But 613 rules and commandments and we're just looking at a couple here before we get back to the greatest commandment of all. Uh, this one from Exodus. A cooking tip. How very timely. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Okay. Point taken. Or uh, something on the fashion, for the fashion industry. From Leviticus 19, do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. Polyester, you're out. Deuteronomy says don't mix wool and something else. So why not one of those or any of the other 600 plus? Why this one? Because this underpins everything that the God of people were to live out. Let's have a look. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, where the Shema comes from. And this is what Jesus is quoting. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me, that's Moses talking, to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. See, all of the commands weren't given to be restrictive um, and tight boundaries that were going to just hold the Israelites back. They were all given so that they may enjoy, enjoy long life. Sound familiar? Kind of sounds a little bit like the conversation that Jesus was having with the Pharisees a few thousand years later on. Moses goes on, Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. The greatest commandment, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
given to the Israelites to remind them after coming out of pagan Egyptian society where they were polytheistic, they believed in many gods. You had a different God for different... There was a God for the sun, there was a God for the bricks, there was a God for the rain, there was a God for birth, there was a God for everything. And they come out of that and God says, Hear, Israel, there is one God and he is one. He is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And that commandment underpins every other commandment. Every other commandment is just the fleshing out of what that looks like to love the Lord your God with heart, soul, mind and strength and to love your neighbour as yourself. Not to be dominated, not to be restrictive, but to actually help the Israelites have long life in a land that they were moving in to possess. Now we don't follow all of those rules. The, the law and the prophets have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And on this side of the cross, there are a lot of those laws in the Old Testament that we don't. But we still hold to quite a few. We, we don't murder. We don't steal. We don't, shouldn't, instructed. It's a bad idea to make false idols, to have any other God but God. We, as followers of Jesus, still live this out. That the Lord our God is one. And we are to love him with our heart, soul, mind and strength. Jesus says to the teacher as he has a conversation and says, you are not far from the kingdom of heaven, which is the whole theme for, for Mark, that the kingdom of heaven is coming near, has come near. And Jesus says, hold on, mate. Because you've seen through all the other mess, you've got the Pharisees and the Herodians and the Sadducees all holding on to their idea of what Scripture looked like and the truth that Scripture professed and who the Messiah was going to be and who Jesus was or who they thought he wasn't. And so they were just trying to argue their point. And here's one teacher that comes up with a common question for the teachers of the law of that day, looking to grow in his understanding, to grow in his relationship with the Lord, to discover the truth rather than just get cut up in all the lies and the hypocrisy that the other religious leaders were falling into. And Jesus says, you are not far from the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God, sorry, the kingdom, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. There is, there's a lot of talk today, and you might not hear it. Maybe it's just what I read and what I listen to. There's a lot of talk today about the, the lack of the Bible, the errancy of the Bible, how the Bible doesn't work or how, how it's, it's out of date, how it doesn't apply anymore. Well, yeah, if you want to take this and go, okay, exactly how does this apply to my life Today, and you want to read it as though it's written here and now for us, to us, I should say, you're going to have a problem. But when we actually spend time in his word, wanting to learn about the author, want to discover more about the creator, then we actually hear his truth and discover more of who he is and what he's like. Jesus himself used scripture 
not only to answer those that came against him and tried to pick a fight with him and try and argue with him, he quoted scripture when he was tempted by the devil. How do you know that scripture is being used and abused when the devil quotes it? Because the devil quoted from Psalm 91 at Jesus, trying to get Jesus to do what he wanted, trying to tempt Jesus to come under the devil's own authority. And Jesus wouldn't have a bar of it. And I realized the first time that the word of God was actually perverted was way back in the Garden of Eden, before there was a written word. And the devil, in the form of the serpent, came to Eve and said, did God really say? Did God really say? And there's a lot of conversations that asking today the question, did God really say what he meant in the Bible? And people are leaving the church because they look at the Bible through a 21st lens rather than examining the Bible for the truth that God has put before us and going, who was it written to? What did it mean for the people that it was written to? And what does that mean for us today? We need to be wise stewards of the word. We need to be studiers of the word. Not so that we can just fill our head with information, but so that we can fill our heart with the revelation of God and his son and the Holy Spirit. I don't come to the word because I want something to read. I don't come to the word because I want to just put it in my head. Though that's good because there's worse things you can put in your head. I come to the word because it points me, it brings me to the one who wrote the word, who inspired the word, who spoke the word into being, and the one who gives me life. There's a lot of other distractions, there's a lot of other choices, there's a lot of other temptations that I could choose. But when I actually pull aside from all of that and say, Lord, I want to know you more, as I spend time in your word, would you reveal your truth to me? Please reveal who you are and what you're like. I get to know him more. And I become more alive and I become more like him and reveal him in my life. Father, I pray for us as a church community, as a body of believers, wherever we are, right now that we would actually set aside the time to pull away from the noise of this world that we would just seek to know you more that we would spend time in your word to know your truth to grow in your truth to hear your voice speaking to us through your timeless ageless wisdom i pray that we would have wisdom as we spend time in your word not to just fill our heads with knowledge, but to fill our hearts, our spirits, our souls with a revelation of who you are and what you're like. And I just pray a blessing over us as a church community, as individuals and as a body, Lord, in this season, as we spend time in your word, we'll be strengthened, we will be encouraged and we'll be comforted by your truth and that we will grow stronger as a body because of our resolve to know you more and to know your word more. 
I pray your blessing over each and every person that's been a part of this time today. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.